I started having a couple of just little gut issues, right? Typical um, gut issues. So I decided that I might go and see a nutritionist because I thought maybe if I, if I fix my food, if I fix what I'm eating, if I make sure what I'm putting into my body isn't reacting badly to it or something like that, then my gut issues are gonna go away. So I sought out a nutritionist, I went and visited them, I did a whole heap of tests about what foods might be, might be triggering my body or whatever it was, and turns out that there wasn't just one or two foods. I thought, maybe I'm going to have to be gluten-free or maybe I'm going to have to be dairy-free. To my shock and horror, this was the list that came back after the tests of the foods that I was no longer allowed to eat. It was extensive. But I had convinced myself if I stop eating all of these foods, then I'm going to feel so much better and it's going to be so good for me and it's going to clear up all my issues and, and, and I'm going to be better. So I gave it a shot. I stuck to this diet. I, the first thing I thought, actually, when the nutritionist showed me this, one, she was shocked. She was like, wow, that, that is a lot. Good luck. And... <laughs> The Woolworths was next door to the nutritionist that we went to, and it was lunchtime when I saw her. So I've just come out of this nutritionist's office. My life is completely changed. I'm hungry. And I stood in Woolworths for about 20 to 30 minutes just trying to figure out what I could eat for lunch that day because everything has garlic in it. Everything has pepper in it. It was, yeah, it was a challenge, but I, I stuck to it. I did this diet for eight months. I didn't eat any of the foods that were on there, so much so that I took my own food every time we went out to a restaurant. Any camp we went on, I packed all of my own food. Even my friend's wedding that we had, I let her know so that she didn't pay for, my, for me, right? But I took my own food to my friend's wedding and I sat there while everyone was eating a banquet and I ate cold salmon and rice, which is basically all I ate for eight months. But I stuck so stringently, string, string, I don't know what that word is actually. I stuck to this diet. <laughs> I was determined because I was convinced that this would fix all my issues. But sure enough, eight months later, my gut issues came back, worse than they were before, <laughs> funnily enough. And even though when I was on this diet, I felt really good. I did. I, re I felt really good. I didn't feel gross after I ate. I wasn't bloated anymore. It was good for me. I could tell. As soon as what I believed to be the truth that this would fix me, as soon as that crumbled, the diet went out the window. I'm pretty sure the first day that I wasn't feeling well, I was like, well, there we go. I'm going to eat a sandwich with white bread and have some chocolate. <laughs> that was my little, little reward or so I thought. The truth that, that I lay my foundation on, right, that, well, that I thought was the truth, that this diet would fix my gut issues, when it didn't, when that truth crumbled, my actions and the diet went out the window. So we're currently going through a series through the book of Ephesians. And if you've maybe missed some weeks, if you haven't been here, I just want to encourage you to go back and watch some of them. They're available online on streaming platforms. 
And today we're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to chapter 5, verses 7. So if you have your Bibles, I just want to encourage you to open them up to Ephesians chapter 4 now. And in this section of Ephesians, so, so last week Dave spoke about because we're called to be one people, we must cultivate unity. And now Paul is going on to say that because we are called to be transformed people, we should cultivate purity. So let's read now from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to chapter 5, verses 7. It says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance to the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer but must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may, it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. You see, purity, purity is a freedom from contamination. And in our lives, we are all actually subconsciously seeking this type of purity or some form of purity. We are all looking to be transformed in one way or another. There are many things in our lives that we want to change. 
just like me, maybe you want to change your diet. Maybe you want to change how much you um, exercise or your health or you want to change your priorities, how much time you spend on your phone, how much time you spend with your family. Maybe you want to change your habits or your motivations or how you spend and use your money. The reality is we're all wanting to make changes in our lives. But oftentimes, these changes that we're motivated to make, they only last a short amount of time. They go straight out the window as soon as something changes and we go back to our old way of living again. I mean, how many times have we heard some kind of moving story, maybe an impactful sermon, or we've been on camp or a retreat or a conference and, and we've heard a word and we have just been so moved by it that we are motivated to make a change. We come away from those times like, yes, that testimony, that word, that, that impacted me greatly and I will change. We feel motivated, we feel a fire to make the change, but a couple of weeks later, we just find ourselves back in our old behaviours and our old patterns and way of living. See, as humans, I think that we think that lasting change is going to come through these feelings and through these emotions. And I know that's what I expected when I changed my diet. Even though I felt so much better, I thought, look, at this point, I've done this for eight months, no matter what happens, I'm going to stick to this because I feel so much better. But that's not what happened. That's not the reality of the change. And most of the, these changes that we are wanting to make in our lives, they are some form of behaviour. It's what we do or what kind of person we are. That, that is the behaviour. And the National Institute of Health states that behaviour is an action that can be observed that comes as a response to something else. So if our behaviour comes as a response to something, that means that our behaviour isn't and cannot be something that is addressed in isolation. It's not enough for us to just be motivated to change a behaviour and change it. There has to be something behind that our behaviour change and our want to change has to be rooted in something. So I hit Google this week and I typed in how to make changes in your life. And these are some of the things that came up in the search. It said stop making excuses. Decide to change your life. Learn to embrace discomfort. Identify why you want to change. Create a routine and find meaning. And now, while I was found these um, suggestions pretty vague, I do realise that they do actually all have something in common. And that's that, that these suggestions and these things, they start not with our feelings, not with our emotions, but with our minds. Decide. Find why learn. You see, the reason that, that we can't make lasting changes in our lives or that we're struggling to make lasting changes in our lives is because we're not grounding our changes on solid truth. We focus too much on our feelings, the way it impacted us emotionally. So when our motivation dwindles, which it does, when the fire goes out, which it will, when our, it goes out the window, 
because we have nothing solid to stand on. And the Bible makes this clear. Right? Our emotions, our, our, our hearts are deceitful. It's not solid enough to try and stand on our own strength, but we must lean on God's. And that is why we find it difficult to make changes in our lives, because our change cannot be based on our emotions. It cannot be based on our experiences alone, because they are fleeting. They need to be grounded on a solid truth. We need to believe that truth, we need to know that truth, and we need to keep coming back to that truth if we ever want to see lasting change in our lives. And now I'm not saying that emotion isn't important, because it is. And oftentimes emotion is something that starts that drive. But emotion isn't primary. It's our minds that have the power to govern our emotions, which in turn changes our behaviour. It's like joining the gym. Right, if you've ever joined the gym, you have probably experienced this. I know I have. I am so motivated to go. I go five days a week. I actually have never gone to the gym five days a week. I wish I could say that. But I'm motivated to go five days a week. And quickly and surely that motivation, it dwindles. You might feel good when you go to the gym. You might be getting stronger, you might even be seeing a change, but, but that motivation dwindles. And when that motivation goes away, we need to rely on discipline. And the thing about discipline is discipline is rooted in truth. And that truth is that going to the gym is good for you. Exercising is good for you. So when our motivation goes, we need to rely on that discipline, which is rooted in truth. And this is made clear, this pattern of, of thinking or of changing behaviours is made clear throughout history and throughout our lives. It's what I was talking about at the beginning with my diet, it's what research has shown, but it's also something that has been made very clear throughout scripture. It's something that we see clearly laid out here in this passage, that we are not transformed through our feelings or our emotions, but rather, we are transformed through the renewing of our mind. We are changed and transformed through finding and knowing solid truth, through grounding ourselves on that. See, we cannot ignore the emphasis that the Bible makes on the intellectual factor in everybody's day of, uh, way of life. You see, the call to transformation, which is made clear here throughout this passage, is a call to the renewal of our minds. So, Paul begins this section in verses 17 to 19 by reminding us of our old way of thinking. He says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. And the result of that is having lost all sensitivity, they have given, given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. See, Paul is showing us here and showing the Ephesians that, that this Gentile way of thinking has led them to a life of impurity. 
And there is a definite pattern that we see here in their thinking which has led them to a life of impurity. First step is stubbornness, which leads to darkness, which leads to death or judgment, which leads to recklessness. And this is what we see set out here in this passage. Stage one, stubbornness in verse 18. Paul describes it as a hardening of hearts. And now, now this isn't actually an emotional thing. This hardening of heart, the language here, it means a moral unresponsiveness. It's an action or a deliberate stubbornness in choosing to ignore who God is and what he's done. And stubbornness leads to stage two, darkness. Verses 17 and 18, Ephesians, it describes it as futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding. Ignorance is in them, which leads to stage three, death and judgment. Ephesians describes it as separation from God. Again, verse 18, which leads then to stage four and recklessness. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every type of impurity and they are full of greed. We see that it is through this pattern of thinking, this has an effect on the Gentiles' lives and their actions. But this is not the way of thinking that we or the Ephesians are called to. So Paul then goes on to remind us of the contrast, and it is a stark contrast, the language that is used here, of our new way of thinking through verses 20 and 24. Paul says, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ, when you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on your new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We are called to live differently. Our call to transformation is rooted here in the renewal of our minds. It's a ch to change the pattern of our thinking. And here Paul describes it as one we learn Christ in verse 20. So Christ himself is the substance of, of, our, of our teaching, of our learning. We learn Christ. We also hear Christ in verse 21. So Jesus, who is the substance of our teaching, is also himself the teacher through the work of the Holy Spirit. We learn Christ, we hear Christ, and we were taught in Christ. So Jesus, in addition to being the teacher and the teaching, is also the context and the atmosphere of which the teaching is given. Jesus is the subject, the object, and the environment of our teaching. The truth is in him. So what does that mean for us? That Jesus is in all, he's over all, He's through all. And our pattern of thinking, our pattern of our, our way of mind, it needs to reflect this. It should reflect this. And through both of these examples that we see here, we see the effect that the mind has. The decay and the actions of the non-believers are due to the futility of their minds. And in contrast, the life, the transformation of Christians is due to the renewal of their minds. You see, when our minds are transformed, which is done through knowing the truth of Jesus, then our lives will follow. 
And it is now and only now that Paul starts to address the behaviours. And this should give us great freedom because it's not that we are trying to, to fix ourselves, to work on ourselves, to get this, this and this right and, and to tick boxes and do a checklist, but it's no, come back to knowing who Jesus is and, and let that transform you, which is going to then outflow into your life. This is great freedom and a great truth. In verse 25, Paul says, Therefore, therefore, because of all that, each of you must. And then he addresses the behaviours. He's saying, because of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, because of the offer of being made a new creation, given new life, because this is available to all who believe, for those who have believed, for the Ephesians, the Paul is reminding them that they have been made new. They put off their old way of life. They've put on a new self, which is created in the likeness of God. And because of this, you must live a life that is totally consistent with the kind of person that you have become. See, this idea of being outwardly known by something that's happened inwardly is something that we, as a society, have actually really accepted. It's why we wear uniforms. We look around, we, we see people um, in the streets, in the shopping centres, uh, in police uniforms, wearing firefighter uniforms, high-vis uniforms, scrubs, and on and on, school uniforms even, and we can recognise them and, and a little bit of what they stand for and what they do based on what they are wearing outwardly. And a lot of the time, they wear their uniform with pride because it represents the company they work for, it represents the hard work and the effort that they've put in. And you see, it wouldn't make sense to, to go through university or TAFE or some kind of training, the hard years and years of becoming a police officer or something like that, and then be offered the uniform and go, oh, no thanks. I actually don't want to wear that. I don't want to be known for that. It doesn't make sense in our lives. If you've worked so hard for that, you want to wear the uniform. And the same, same with those who, when you wear your, your school uniform as such, how many times were you told, when you're in your uniform, don't do this, that or this, because you're representing the school. And it's true. What you do, how you act, how you behave, says something about who you are representing. And the same goes for us as Christians. We can be recognised as belonging to Christ by metaphorically what we wear, how we present ourselves, how we live our lives, particularly through the way that we interact with other people, which is what a lot of these examples are about that Paul talks about. See, when we are in the world, we are God's representatives because we are made in his image. We've been changed inwardly. That change has happened. We have put off our old self. God has put on, we have put on our new self, which is created in the image of God. We are like Christ. So we are called to wear the uniform that fits. And you see, the renewal of our mind, it leads to a change in our behaviour 
Paul in verse 25 onwards is now describing to us the uniform that we must now wear since we have been made new. He talks about putting away falsehood and speaking truth, being angry but do not sin, do not let the sun go down in your anger, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only what is good for building up, put away bitterness, wrath, anger and malice, be kind, tender-hearted and forgiving just as God forgave us. This is the uniform that we are called to wear. This is how we are to represent Christ. This is how we are to be known. So that when people see us, they recognise who we are representing, they recognise the transformation that has taken place within us, and, and they can actually know something about who our Jesus is by the way that we live our lives. You see, for me personally, coming to know and understand that transformation comes through the renewal of my mind has changed everything about how I do my life with Jesus, about my relationship with him. Because I now no longer have to rely on my own thoughts, my own feelings to know who Jesus is. I can rely on truth, truth that is in his word. See, his call to to, uh, be transformed through through the renewal of our mind, is a call to abide. It's a call to say, come and know me. Come and know me for I am God. See, knowing that my transformation comes through knowing God in a deeper way, through understanding who he is, what he's done for me, this has brought me a radical amount of joy. This has helped me to Um, restore that joy of my salvation every single day because I can wake up standing on the truth of who Jesus says he is, who he says I am, and that doesn't waver. This has given me so much freedom. God, my heavenly father, wants me to know him just as much as he wants to know me. And through that, I cannot help but become more like Jesus, to be changed and to be transformed by renewing my mind daily and reminding myself who God is. We need to remember that renewing our minds, it's an ongoing process. It's something that requires attention and effort. It's something that cannot be done without the help of the Holy Spirit, without God actually working in us. And we are continually going to be made new every day through the sanctifying work of God in our lives. But how can we practically be renewing our minds daily, which leads to transformation? We could immerse ourselves in God's word daily. There are wonderful Bible plans on the Bible app. Maybe you've got friends that you can catch up with, you can create a Bible study group with, you can be renewed together in unity and in community. You meditate on scripture and apply it to your lives. And this is important because we actually cannot stand on a truth that we do not know. So we need to be coming back, learning God's word, meditating on scripture. We seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit in prayer We can surround ourselves with a community of believers who encourage and challenge us. That's why I love coming here on Sundays. Life groups is another way to do that as well. 
And we can be intentional, intentional about what we allow in our minds through media and entertainment. I just want to invite the team up now as well. You see, the call to transformation is a lifelong journey, but the destination is Christ's likeness, becoming more like him. And in verse 24, we are reminded that true transformation comes through righteousness and holiness of truth. The truth that is found in Jesus. And that truth, we can know that truth through God's word. And this truth, it sets us free. Free from the bondage of sin and death. Free from trying to rely on our own strength. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. God longs for us to experience liberation from sin and death, which comes through the renewing of our mind, through knowing the truth of who Jesus is and becoming more and more like him every day. Jesus is the truth that sets us free. Who he is, what he's done for us. And as we renew our minds with this truth, we cannot help but become more like him. Our lives follow in that transformation. So let us commit ourselves to the continuous renewing of our minds and through this transformation bring glory to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just as Jesus prayed to you, I also echo that prayer, God sanctify us in your truth. Your word is truth. And God, may we today and every day be sanctified by you. Lord, may we come back to knowing and to standing on on you and your truth as our firm foundation. Lord, we rely too much on ourselves and, and we just pray that we have a sense of surrender now to you and who you are. God, renew our minds daily that we might be set free and find joy in learning and knowing more about who you are and consequently who we are because of what you've done for us. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.